and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. We are a podcast that's all about the classical world. We mostly talk about books and philosophy, though occasionally we'll toss some art in there, typically unsuccessfully, but we like to try. Uh, haven't done architecture yet, but you know, it's on the list for someday at some point when we actually learn something decent about architecture. We're just building a foundation before yeah, we do really, it. Yeah, really, we uh, want to make sure... Sh- oh, see what he did there? I just want to die. Uh, and today... Mostly, I just want to bring penance to the boys. Like, I, I get it. I talk too much. That accent on the last episode was <laughs> something special. And uh, I just want to say I'm sorry. I, yeah. Right? Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, this has been classical stuff. Yep. You should, yeah. Anyway, um, this, one, this one comes Are we going to learn? We're going to learn how to give you an apology. Give an apology. Okay. You yeah, were corrupting you. the youth, so... <laughs> um, well, I, that, I was going to make a joke about how I have to do the apology because I'm Canadian, and that's what we do. Oh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, today we are talking about Plato's Apology. So a couple of episodes. So first of all, you're like, oh, it's a Graham episode. Maybe we're going to do the War of the Roses. Sorry, we're taking a, a week off or th- four weeks off or however long it's going to take now because of, well, you know, because, mm. yeah. We're going to take some time off before the War of the Roses. So Henry VI still has his best buddy looking for a wife. Yeah. It's kind of a hard thing because yep. he's kind of weird. Um, in the meantime, so AJ did Euthyphro, and I Euthy- thought, yeah, oh. Euthyphro, uh, bangerang, and I thought that we should um, <laughs> follow that up with some apology, because in Euthyphro, Plato is standing in line, basically at the courthouse, waiting his turn uh, to go see the 500 judges. To um, find out if he will die. To find right. out if he will die, and Euthyphro is there because he's trying to get his father killed for murder or whatever. Yep. And we talked about... You know, Plato is looking, is is questioning Euthyphro over the nature of piety. Um, And they, um, with the big question, do the gods love piety because it's good or is it good because the gods love it? And then that was sort of this big question that he poses to Euthyphro. And Euthyphro is like, you know what? Just realized I left like something on the stove at home Mm. and I got to go. And Socrates, (laughs) it's been great. But I gotta leave. Doesn't even not give an excuse. He just says, "I must leave now." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then leaves. It's so this is Euthyphro's last line. Some other time, then, Socrates. For now, I am in a hurry to go somewhere, <laughs> and it's time for me to go away. <laughs> is that the last yeah, line of the dialogue the too? No, then Socrates. <laughs> so good. Then Socrates is like, "You're a coward." He's like, "Such things you're doing, comrade. By leaving, you're throwing me down from the great hope I had. Mm-hmm. You could tell me what is piety." Anyway, so. Then we're going into the apology. Now, the <laughs> apology is Socrates' defense speech. Yeah. So let's set the stage. Socrates um, has been called in and put on... He's been accused of a crime. And it, the t- crime is sort of twofold. One, it is that he has been corrupting the... Pardon me. Corrupting the youth of Athens. That they have been corrupted by Socrates' teaching. And namely, his big teaching that... He doesn't believe in the gods of Athens. Mm. He he creates other gods, and or, or as they're called, da- uh, daemonians, mm. other other sort of deities. And Socrates uh, claims those are the gods and not the gods of Athens. And in so claiming like being that, a neologian, right? Yes. Isn't that what that's called? Yeah, I guess neologian, so. new gods. And so then, in claiming that, he is being uh, put on trial for being impious and for corrupting the generation of tomorrow. He's corrupting the youth. You don't want to corrupt the youth. Which is, you you got to live with them. That one's definitely true. That he's corrupting the youth? Yeah, 100%. We'll get to it, though. Okay. Um, with, get, with Socrates, Socrates claims that, like, not that being a gadfly, 
being basically like someone who can stand up and poke the sort of sacred beliefs of a society mm-hmm. is a necessary thing. So Reddit trolls got to have Reddit to trolls have to <laughs> exist. Necessary, yeah. yeah. And Socrates, I mean, but so this is the, the, the first of all, teenagers friggin' love Socrates yes. because of this. Right. Um, but, um, uh, but there, yeah, maybe this is a question we'll get to at the end is like, is Socrates a needed thing for society or is he something you don't want? Like, is he kind of annoying? Is, is, He's well, definitely annoying. He's yeah. annoying. He's dangerous, oh. and you need like one of him, and so you don't need an entire uh, generation of generation of them, which yeah. is what he's doing. Yeah, he's attracting yeah. followers, and they're leaving these like could be lucrative careers or political careers just to, to like play talk like, about to ask questions of people, right? You know, like the gods love piety because it's good. Change my mind, like exactly. on college campuses. <laughs> yes, yeah. Exactly, yeah, instead of becoming investment <laughs> bankers. Yeah. Oh, AJ's gonna choke oh, on his lozenge. Oh man, yeah, that was a good one. They're like those guys, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yes, uh, someone in the been, old gods don't exist. Changed my mind. Yeah, so we've been doing we've been doing uh, Plato in government class, and people are saying that like Socrates is going to college campuses and like owning the libs, like you know, like that kind of thing, <laughs> like like ten things that Socrates says that blows away, uh, you know, his interlocutors right. or something. And there definitely is that flavor to Socrates. And is that a useful thing in society or not? Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about the apology. So um, there's been three people who've brought Socrates to trial. The one person that is sort of the main guy who's brought Socrates to trial is named Miletus or Miletus. Um, but he seems to be like the puppet of a guy named Anitus or Anitus. And, and that is somebody who shows up in other Platonic dialogues who basically says something like, you better watch it, Socrates. You're going to get someone ticked off that you're going to get in trouble. Socrates is like, leave me alone, Anatus. And it's Anatus that seems to be like the guy that's pulled together uh, this trial because, well, I was actually reading this morning just looking into some of the history of this. Anatus's child was killed during a political revolution of the Spartans when they took over Athens. And the Spartans like didn't kick Socrates out of Athens at the time because he was like a hobo. And everybody kind of concluded that maybe the Spartans actually like Socrates. And so he's always had this reputation that, like, he's not for Athens because right. the Spartans didn't mm. purge him during the purges. Right. And Anatus' kid was killed by the Spartans. So there's, like, maybe, like, a political axe to grind there. Anyway. Yeah, I see it. So Socrates is brought on trial for impiety. And um, so Socrates gives his defense. He, when he stands up, Socrates... Um, basically says, I have two groups of accusers. Um, and the groups, and the, the second group of accusers are these men here that are putting me on trial. Miletus, Anatus, and another guy. Uh, I think his name is Lycon. Um, and Miletus is mad at Socrates because he has offended the poets. So Miletus is like a poet. Um, and Anatus is offended because Socrates has insulted the politicians, which is a more dangerous group to insult. And then Lycon is upset because I think Socrates insulted like the artisans. I think is Lycon's deal, and he's like, "I just want to make, I just want to make a cabinet. I don't want to think about the form of the cabinet." Uh, anyway, um, so Socrates says, "I've got those guys, and those guys are accusing me, and I'll address their actual on the books uh, accusation in a minute." But he says, "You men of Athens, and there would be, have been like five hundred judges." Mm. Uh, who would be casting their, their ballots. So it's like a big room, 500 dudes. And he says, I also have an accuser, and the other accuser is 
your misconception of me that you've gotten from popular sources because Socrates is old. He's like 70 years old and he said, I've been doing this a long time and you, especially as young men, have grown up always knowing that there was like a wacky dude in the market who was the philosopher asking questions. And so he says, you kind of have this version of Socrates, the wise guy, the wise man in your head. Of, And then also there was a really, really famous play mm-hmm. that had been written by a poet named Aristophanes called Clouds. Mm-hmm. And in it, he has Socrates be this like bumbling moron who takes like promising young lawyers and brings them into his school. And then those promising young lawyers are, when they leave his school, are like claiming that up is down and left is right and the clouds are the ground and the ground is God and all this sort of crazy thing, this crazy stuff. And if I remember clouds, I didn't read it since undergrad, but if I remember in clouds, like Socrates spends half his time in a basket. Yes, um, that sounds right, yeah. And one of his students... Wasn't that play incomplete or did they find the complete Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) And one of his, and there's like, you know, sort of um, some crude scenes of like, what his students do on her blankets by themselves. And anyway, there's all sorts of things. Basically, Socrates is saying, listen, you've got this memified version of me in your minds right. of who Socrates is. Like you've got this cartoon version of Socrates. Someone's taken all the all these like Socrates-like sayings, stitched them together in this hit piece, and it like went viral. Like, like you have this cartoon version of Socrates in your head. And you're putting that man on trial, and Socrates says, that's not fair. Or just, I want you to know that that's not, um, that man in that play claims to know, have special knowledge about the gods. I do not. Mm -hmm. Socrates says, I do not claim to know anything. Um, And so um, uh, Socrates says, let me tell you about why I'm doing what I'm doing. He says, "Um, uh, back when I finished my military career <clears throat> fighting for Athens. <clears throat> You're right, like, <laughs> right, yeah. um, I went home and my best friend, whose name I can't remember, um, he went, he was, a bit, he was a bit impestuous and he always wanted to, you know, uh, just sort of, you know, ask questions. And he went to the Oracle of Delphi and he said, hey, Oracle of Delphi, who is the wisest man? Or he said, is anybody, he's like, my buddy Socrates is pretty smart. Is there anybody wiser than Socrates in this world? And so then the uh, Flagria or whatever the priestess's name of the Oracle of Delphi went in there, asked the Oracle that question, and the Oracle said, no, Socrates is the wisest. And so he came back and told his buddy. And his buddy came home and told Socrates. And Socrates says, whoa, the Oracles don't usually lie, right. but I can't be wise because I don't know anything. I don't claim to know anything. So Socrates says then he decided uh, that he was going to go um, ask everybody. Uh, he was, so he was going to go and find, um, uh, well, let me read the passage. So Socrates says, okay, I need to go and find everybody who, has, who claims to know things, who claims to be able to give me a working definition of something, um, because surely that person is wiser than I am. So, like, he did this with Euthyphro. Hey, Euthyphro, you seem to know what piety is. Can you tell me what piety is? And, piety is, and Euthyphro is like, well, piety is exactly what I'm doing right now. And Socrates is like, okay, cool. How do you know that? And Euthyphro is like, well, because, the, because Zeus also put his dad on trial, duh. And I'm putting my dad on trial. 
therefore piety. Right. And Socrates is like, well, okay, don't give me examples. Okay. Give me the thing itself. I don't want any examples. I want to know the nature of piety. He says, give yeah, me... Not everyone can put their dad on trial for murder, so... Yes, like, that can't be piety. What piety is available to a guy like me? So he says, if you give me the thing so that I know, so I can see piety in the wild to Euthyphro. And Euthyphro is like, I can, I can do this, Socrates, but it's going to take some time. Socrates is like, hey, man, if you can do this, I will give you everything. I, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. Because mm-hmm. Socrates wants to know the... And this is the big platonic word. He wants to know the form of things. He doesn't just want to know the examples. So he doesn't just want the tokens, the token examples in the world. He wants to know the type. The, the, the essence. The essence. Like if the tokens are stamps, he wants to know what the, how the stamp, what the stamp is made out of or what the stamp is so that he can, he can know it. And so he says, I'm going to go to all these people who claim to know things and, get, and, and question them uh, to see if they can tell me uh, the good, if they can tell me what the thing is. And so here's part of his speech where he addresses that this was the way he was going to live his life in service of the gods. And by the way, if you're looking for the name, it was Cheerophon. Oh, uh, Cheerophon. Yeah, yeah, his buddy. Okay. I went to one of those reputed to be wise on the ground that if anywhere I would refute the divination and show the oracle, this man is wiser than I, but you declare that I am wisest. So I considered him thoroughly. I need not speak of him by name, but <clears throat> he was one of the politicians. And when I considered him and conversed with him, men of Athens... I was affected something like this. It seemed to me that this man seemed to be wise, both to many other human beings and most of all to himself, but he was not. And then I tried to show him that he supposed he was wise but was not. So from this, I became hateful both to him and to many of these present. For my part, as I went away, I reasoned with regards to myself. I am wiser than this human being, for probably neither of us knows anything noble and good, but he supposes he knows something when he does not know, while I, just as I do not know, do not even suppose that I do. I am likely to be a little bit wiser than he is in this very thing, that whatever I do not know, I do not even suppose that I know. Mm-hmm. So Socrates, after the end of, yeah. yeah. He thinks he knows and doesn't, and yeah. I, I know I don't know. So that must be the plus one in my column that I have towards wisdom, because I am at least not uh, mistaken about my own position. Yeah. I don't know anything. This guy claims to know anything, but when he's given a little bit of pushback, when he's given a little bit of questioning, some dialectic to sort of chisel down to the real heart of the matter, he doesn't, he doesn't know it. The house of cards folds. He's just running on received wisdom or some kind of like faith in the old ways or, or something like that, right? He doesn't really, he doesn't have the, the essence, the form, the real thing itself. And Socrates says, I did this to the politicians. He has this really funny phrase where he says, um, the men that were reported to know the most and who were the most respected seemed to know the least. And those who seemed to not be really respected actually kind of had some prudence about mm-hmm. them. So it's like, yeah, I took a taxi to, uh, you know, the mall and, in, right. in uh, in uh, uh, D.C. and the taxi cabber, the taxi cab driver seemed to have some prudence, whereas like the guy I stopped going into the into Congress didn't know anything. Right. Well, wasn't um, it he, he checked with the politicians and he said they knew nothing and didn't even know how to talk about it. At least the poets knew how to talk about the things they didn't know, mm-hmm. but they still thought they knew it. And the best people were the artisans because, look, it's hard to think you know how to make a cabinet when you don't know how to make a cabinet. And so at least they had like practical wisdom about how to build stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. he said the artists seem to know something because they're telling stories about virtue, but when you sort of press them on that, they don't know the essence of virtue. 
And he said, yes, he, he said the artisans at least knew how to make cabinets. But he said, but when you pressed them for the higher things, mm, they, they also didn't know. Didn't know. Um, and he said, but they often thought they did because of the knowledge they had of their craft. So he would be like, um, to the bread baker who bakes really amazing bread, he'd be like, hey, so what do you, can you tell me about virtue? And the bread baker would be like, well, virtue's kind of like bread baking. And I'm like, all right, well, that's not very helpful. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm the best baker in the yeah. land, and let me tell you what It's like, you know, is. you need to let, like, the virtue rise for 20 minutes on the counter, and you're like, oh, okay, this isn't really all that. Like, you, <laughs> I get the metaphor, but this isn't really the essence of They're the just well-respected in the town, and yeah. so they take that respect as them yes. being um, Yeah. It's like, you know, the football coach where everything's a football analogy. Right. <laughs> yep. Life's a game of inches. It's like, okay, maybe My not. wonder is not what, really. what, what analogies do they use when they're talking about football? Yeah. Football's like football. <laughs> um, get the into it's the like, net. no, it's like life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Football is life. Okay. Football is life. <laughs> uh, moving on. So then he says, he talked to all these and he didn't get anything. Um, and then he said, listen... Young people follow me and love listening to me talk to the wise men because, one, these young people are really rich and they don't have anything to do all day, and they're bored. And, two, it is kind of pleasant to see uh, know-it-alls, like, get, you know, have to eat it. He does say this. He's like, it is quite pleasant to see people who claim to know something be shown that they don't know something. The youth love that. It's great to burn the snowflakes, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. the youth youth love it, um, says Socrates. And then he's like, okay. Um, that's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. That is what I go about doing every day. I'm not like the guy in the play who claims to know something. I, in fact, don't claim to know anything. So those accusers are wrong. Don't buy the cartoon meme version that you have of Socrates. This is my testimony of to how I have lived my life. And people can attest to that fact. And like Socrates has his own students in the courtroom or they've come. And you can just imagine Plato and uh, Credo and, like, Epaphroditus or whoever is all there just standing in – maybe it's not Epaphroditus. I think that's actually a guy from the Bible. Um, standing in the background being like, Socrates, don't say anything stupid. Like, just <laughs> don't get in trouble. Uh, and they're, like, so nervous. And, and Socrates is going to say wonderful things to get some in trouble later. But <laughs> Just bow down, man. Yeah, exactly. Just exactly. Just shut up and toe the line. And say, fine, I'll stop corrupting the youth and like... And then you can go on with your corrupting ways. Go, and go back into the... They're just wanting you to kiss the ring and, you know, just to not be a punk. Or they just want to like... They just want to grind you. Like they they, they want to know they can own you. Exactly. Yeah, after you owned them is, so many dang times. And Socrates is like, mm, no, not happening. Then he goes and he questions Miletus. And he, and he says, all right, Miletus, what is your charge? And Miletus says, you don't believe in the gods. And he's like, okay. I believe, but I just told you that I am on a mission from God, like the Blues Brothers, to mm-hmm. um, go about and question people because the Oracle said so. And Miletus says, nope, you don't believe in gods. Um, and he says, okay, does any, and um, so the, he refutes that one very easily by saying, do, does it, you know, does anybody believe in human affairs, but not humans? Does anybody believe in horse affairs, but not horses? Does anybody believe in, because, he, yeah, one of the charges was he's creating his own gods. He's creating daemons. And he's like, does anybody believe in daemons but not daemon af- – or do believe in daemon affairs but not daemons? And Miletus is like, no, of course not. And he's like, all right, what are daemons? And Miletus is like, they're the sons of gods. And he's like, okay. So would anybody believe in the sons of gods but not gods? And Miletus doesn't answer. 
And then Socrates is like, I'm going to take that as, uh, I'm going to take that as that, you know, you're on my, that you realize you're an idiot. Right. Um, and so he easily refutes that one. And so then, so he's, he's being accused of not believing in the gods, but he, but, but inventing his own gods. Like sons of yes, gods. Exactly. He's like, that's the dumbest thing yes. ever. Okay. And then in corrupting the youth, Socrates has an argument, which isn't that great, but he says, does anybody want to li- willingly live among evil men? And, um, Miletus says, no. And Socrates says, if you live among evil men, will evil be done to you? And Miletus says, yes. And Socrates says, so either, um, and you, you say I'm corrupting the youth. And he's like, yes, you are corrupting the youth. And he's like, am I doing it on purpose? He's like, yeah, you know exactly what you're doing, Socrates. You're doing it on purpose. And Socrates hmm. then says, does anybody want to live among evil? And he says, no. Then Socrates says, well, at best I am doing this uh, because I'm wrong, hmm. not because I'm wicked. And if I'm wrong, take me aside and teach me how to raise virtuous men, and I'll do that. But because, but no one, but I, so far you can't. And so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. So Socrates, you know, that one of like hmm. who wants the argument could be, well, Socrates, you're just a punk and you want to burn Athens down. Right. Um, but that's his argument. Socrates' response is, if I'm corrupting the youth, I got to live amongst them just like you guys. And that's not a good, that's not good for me. Well, also, and that because they're following him, that's a sign that he is not cruel to them and misleading yes. them. Yes. And he says, yeah, do people, um, do people, you know, uh, who know that evil, that they're being corrupted, like want to have it done on purpose? And so then why would know, they No, then why would they follow me? If, if he were not actually showing them something or not being evil to them. Yeah. I agree with you. I think he's sidestepping the issue. He is a little the, bit. the question is like, what's the impact of that influence mm-hmm. he's having? But... The, clearly the youth think it's a positive thing. And it's – Socrates thinks that he is helping Athens and Athens thinks yes. that he's hurting Athens. Correct. And, that, yes. and, and that's, that's sort of the issue here. But at least he proves he's not doing it maliciously. Yes. Yeah. And I, I like the whole like, look, man, if I'm doing it wrong, Correct me, me and teach me. how to do it right. I'll right. do it that way. Yeah. And then they say, and then he says – he basically says, Miletus, who does raise the youth into nobility? And Miletus says, the laws. And he says, okay – um, but who made the laws in the first place? I don't want to care about laws. I want to know about which men are raising men into honorable manhood. And he says, basically, he gets Miletus to, to admit that everybody in Athens is raising men into virtue except Socrates. So he's like... Um, um, That's wild. Yeah. He says, but I'm not asking about the laws. I want to know, um, uh, um, but rather what human being is to know, first of all, this very thing, the laws. And then Miletus says, the, the judges... Socrates says, are these men here able to educate the young, and do they make them better? Miletus says, yes. All of them or some of them and some not? All of them. And he's like, what about the councilmen? He's like, all the councilmen. He's like, what about the assembly? All the assembly. And then he says, then all the Athenians, as it appears, make them noble and good except me, and I alone corrupt them. Is that what you're saying? I do say this (laughs) most vehemently. (laughs) So he says, everybody can make people, everyone is making people good except you, Socrates. And then Socrates says, if you're making a horse good, is it the learned horse master uh, that corrupts the horse or everybody who doesn't know about horses? And Miletus is like, I don't like where this is going. Right. Um, and uh, so Socrates basically says, it's, the, it's those who are skilled in the ways of horsemanship that make horses noble. It should be those who are skilled in, in the ways of nobility that make youth noble. Socrates isn't claiming that he's one of those people, but he's claiming that it like, can't be all of Athens that right. does it. Or if it is, like... Please tell me what nobility yes, is. Yes, and, and if it's and it, and if it is one person who yes improves the youth, find me the guy that's making the noble youths and teach me how he does it, and I'll do that. Don't just tell me that like He's New York City is raising a baby, right? right? Like, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Um, so, and then he's like, but then Socrates gets to his point. Milius doesn't really care about the youth of Athens. He's right. just wanting to, he's just wanting to get me. Um, okay. And then, um, um, then Socrates moves into a defense of this way of life that he says, um, he says, uh, I, uh, basically he gets to the point where he says, I am not going to stop this way of philosophizing, this life of dialectic where I'm talking to people and asking them questions. He says, you would find it um, wrong and ignoble if someone who was stationed by their commanding officer left the army and like went home because he was scared and cowardly and didn't want to die. I've been put on a mission by God to find virtue in the city to, um, and later on he says, to basically be like a fly that wakes that people up. He says, Athens is like a noble horse that has fallen asleep, and I am like the gadfly that comes and stings it and sort of sharpens its wits and gets it running again. And without me, you guys would all fall asleep. And so he says, um, so uh, I, I don't fear death because of this. God has put me on this mission, and I'm going to do it. Um, um, and so he says, uh, yes, so he, um, for to fear death, men is in, oh no, we'll get to the, his, his defense of death later. Um, so he says, I'm never going to stop philosophizing. God has ordered me to do this. Um, and he says, so when you really think about it, no greater good has arisen for you in this city than my service to the God. So in okay. reality, like there's nothing greater that's happened to you than me being, um, faithful to God's mission in being someone who is tr- is um, reminding you that you are supposed to be um, in pursuit of the higher things as opposed to the lower things like status and money and honors when you should be in pursuit of um, real piety, real virtue, real prudence, temperance, all of those sorts of things. Um, so, so his defense is almost that like the Pythia made him do it. Like, yes. He wasn't going to do this off the bat. Yeah. He was told to be the wisest of men, therefore he kind of has to do this. So it, it's like... What I find interesting is he's not answering the question of whether what he's doing is good necessarily. It's that he has to do it mm-hmm. because it was given yes. to him. It was given well, to him by the gods. And it's a way to disprove their whole you don't believe in the gods. Exactly. Thing. He's like, I'm doing this because of the gods and you guys yeah. want me to stop? I think the impiety is the weakest of mm-hmm. the arguments. I, st- I still think he hasn't really addressed the corrupting the youth, corrupting the youth yeah. point yeah, yet. For sure. so, um, so then Socrates says, listen, I've been making this defense speech, but I'm not really making it for me. He says, so I, man of Athens... I'm now far from making a defense speech on my own behalf, as someone might suppose. I do it rather on your behalf, so that you do not do something wrong concerning the gift of the god to you by voting con- to condemn me. For if you kill me, you will not easily discover another of my sort, who, even if it is rather ridiculous to say, has simply been set upon the city by the god as though upon a great and well-born horse who is rather sluggish because of his great size and needs to be awakened by some gadfly. Just so, in fact. The god seems to me to have set me upon the city as someone of this sort. I awaken and persuade and reproach each one of you, and I do not stop settling down everywhere upon you the whole day. Someone else of this sort will certainly not easy arise for you men. Well, if you obey me, you will spare me. But perhaps you may be vexed, like the drowsy when they are awakened, and if you obey Anitus and slap me, you would easily kill me. Then you would spend the rest of your lives asleep unless the God sends you someone else in his concern for you. 
So he's, he basically is setting himself up as almost on this divine mission to keep Athens moral, to keep Athens virtuous, uh, to um, I, awaken, persuade, and reproach. Um, mm-hmm. Why do I feel like this is a bad date that but with someone who believes you, if whole, you break up with me you're gonna regret it so like the bad whole, the whole negging philosophy yes, like right. look I am God's gift to you and and your hair looks greasy like that's and it is me telling you that your hair looks greasy that means that I'm God's gift to you like yep. you're gonna become better because I can tell you you're ugly except then you need to but then you really need to go and look at the quality of what he's offering to Athens and right. whether or not you think that what he's offering to Athens is for Athens good or if it is kind of like annoying Right. Well, it's or, certainly annoying. Or if it's not, or if it's not, if it's if it's not to Athens, good. Yeah, and so I think this is maybe one of the only times when he's kind of making a good argument. Like, I'm here mm-hmm. for your good. Please don't kill mm-hmm. me. Like, but almost every other time this has happened, the it's super <laughs> annoying, right? The, the don't kill me because I'm literally God's gift to you is not always not, the best argument to rely yeah, on. Sure. And I feel like this is this might actually be the one that sinks him. And he's, he's he and just to, he says. Um, uh, as he continues on that speech, that I always do your business, going to each of you privately as a father or an older brother might do, persuading you to care for virtue. So Socrates sees it as his mission to, um, um, that those who think they know something to realize that they don't, and they should be sort of like earnestly, almost like rethinking their presuppositions about their about virtue and their own behavior in the city so that they can be better uh, politicians and better better members of the city. Socrates says, I tried to be a politician. Uh, I was a really low-ranking politician in my early days, and he said there was this one case where a bunch of generals lost a battle, and then on the way home, there was a storm, so they got separated from some of their troops, and they couldn't go save their troops who were dying in the storm, so they left and they came home. And we put those generals on trial for abandoning their soldiers, but literally there was nothing they could do about it. And really the, the council was upset that they lost the battle, so they sort of used the generals. Mm-hmm. They used this trial for abandoning the troops as like punishment. And Socrates is like, yeah, I voted against that. Right. And everyone else voted for it. And everyone got real mad at me for standing up and pointing this out in the courtroom. And Socrates said, I realized then and there that... Um, politics was not going to work Politics out. is not going to work. Rather, if someone who really fights for the just is going to preserve himself even for a short time, it is necessary for him to lead a private rather than a public life. Now, that is an interesting question. That's Mm -hmm. definitely just for my own government class. That's definitely a question we're going to be asking and talking about a little bit later. That's just a fascinating question right then and there is, can the good man serve their nation? Can the good man um, uh, hold on to justice and have a long career in politics? Or do you have to have a little bit of Machiavelli in you? Do you have to be a little bit moral bendy if you're going to be able to do a greater good of like staying in the game long enough, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's that pragmatic question. Anyway, but so Socrates says that and he's like, yeah, I realize that I'm not going to be a very good politician. I'm going to get killed fast. Mm -hmm. So I retreated to the private life of persuading everybody to care about virtue and not getting paid for it. I'm poor. My wife's kind of ticked at me because I'm poor. Apparently, Socrates and his wife did not get along. Nope. I mean, I mean, duh. Like, like <laughs> this is the guy. Um, uh, he was also notoriously ugly. Um, oh, other fun fact about Socrates. He was apparently immune to cold. <laughs> so, like, during the army, people were like, oh, it's so cold out. And Socrates would just be, like, walking around in cargo shorts <laughs> in, like, the, in, the, in the winter and be like, let's talk about virtue or whatever. <laughs> 
Um, Don't a lot of philosophers have that reputation? Was I mean, Diogenes the same I, way? I think so. Maybe maybe they've just conflated it all with all these famous philosophers. Oh, Socrates was also reputed as being someone who could drink anybody under the table yeah. and <laughs> uh, and still be able to philosophize right. and ask questions. So I think the... Um, well, all he has to do is be ignorant. You can do <laughs> that when you're drunk. Yeah. What's the, uh, uh, um, the symposium is a drinking game yes. or drinking party dialogue where they're discussing the nature of beauty. And at the end, everyone's like, she's too drunk. And Socrates <laughs> is like, fine. And he gets up and he goes and talks to people in the marketplace after spending all night drinking. It's very funny. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Socrates says, I'm not going to be a politician. Uh, I wouldn't have survived if I stayed amongst your ranks. Um, um, okay. And then he says, this is my defense. Um, and I'm not going to bring in my wife to beg for my for my release I'm not going to bring in my three sons to be like don't kill daddy to like turn your hearts he's like that seems base and and not noble to me Uh, you have my defense Mm -hmm. and then the dudes go off and they uh, count the votes and Socrates is is found guilty but only by 30 votes right out of 500 out of 500 and so uh, now they come back and they do some speeches as to what should be the penalty Miletus comes back and he gives a speech that Socrates should be put to death. And so they basically give Socrates a choice to, to do a counterproposal. And this is where probably they wanted, this is probably where they wanted the court to go all along. They probably didn't really want to kill Socrates. Right. Um, they just wanted him to like pay a giant fine and like be put in his place or better yet, just banish him. Right. Like, like freaking exactly. go to Syracuse. Yeah. Shut sure. him up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Socrates comes out with a counterproposal and he says... Uh, and his counterproposal is this. Um, he says, um, let's see where it is. Um, I attempted to persuade each of you not to care for any of his own things until he cares for himself, how he will be the best and most prudent possible, not to care for the things of the city until he cares for the city itself, and so to care for the other things in the same way. What then am I worthy to suffer? being such as this. Something good, men of Athens. At least if you give me what I deserve according to my worth in truth. Um, And he says, I deserve something according to my worth to the city. He's like, when somebody wins a gold medal in the Olympics uh, and brings honor to the city, we give him free meals for life in the Pritanium. And we honor him. He gets to go have like his meals. Is that like a local outlet Yeah. He gets, yeah, he gets to go to like Orange Julius in the mall and get a free one for the rest of his life. Like no, Chipotle. I love that. One Chipotle C- meal Cinnabon a day a for day. life. Cinnabon a day. And he's like, um, he's like, that person made you seem to have ma- made you happy while I actually, actually make you happy. Right. So my punishment should be free food in the praetorium <laughs> for the rest of my life, says Socrates. Sure. <laughs> and he says, this is fitting because I need the leisure to be able to continue my work right. of of goading you into virtue. Of annoying all of you. Yeah. Yes. He says, this should be my punishment. He's like, ah, but some of you are going to be not be persuaded and you're going to say banishment. He's like, here's why I don't want to get banished. I'm old. And if you send me out, I'm just going to keep philosophizing. I'm going to go to another town and I'm going to, I'm not from there and they're not going to feel bad about kicking me out. So they're just going to kick me out like the first day. And he's like, I don't want to wander from town to town. I'd rather, I mean, you might as well just kill me at that point or give me free food here in town. Um, and then he says, my students say I should ask for, um, uh, I should ask to uh, pay a fine. And so I don't have any money, so I can't pay a fine. 
unless you want me to pay the fine that I can pay, which is nothing, because um, I'll do that. Right. Or he's like, or oh, I could probably find like 20 bucks, he right. says. So that's why I proposed, 20 bucks. And then he says, but my students say that they will scrounge up 30 mine, which the footnote says is a vast sum of money. And so he's like, Plato and Credo and Christobulus and Apollodorus, they will, they'll pay, pay like, pay my way. they'll pay like 80 grand. Right. But I don't, that's not what I want. He, and then that speech apparently ticked off the, the judges and he's sentenced to death. Hmm. Um, the free so meals for a year. The free meals for a year did not persuade them. I'm I'm God's gift to you to annoy you, and you should give me free meals for a year. That that didn't sway. Didn't the, work. I, I'm confounded. Didn't work. Right. Then so Socrates says, um, um, he says maybe you think that I was convicted because I didn't have the rhetorical ability to move you to pity, or I didn't have the rhetorical ability to move your emotions. And he says, no, I do. <laughs> I just don't have the rhetorical abil- ability to be daring and shameless and willingness to say the sorts of things to you that you would have been most pleasing to hear. Me wailing and lamenting and doing and saying many other things unworthy of me as I affirm. Um, so he's like, so I could have done that. And I'm, I wasn't going to. And then I just want to read some of these lines because they're so great. For neither in a court case nor in war should I or anyone else devise a way to escape death by doing anything at all. In battles, it often becomes clear that one might escape death, at least, by letting go of his arms and turning around to supplicate his pursuers. Please don't kill me. And there are many other devices to escape death in each of the dangers if one dares to do and say anything at all. Or say anything at all. But I suspect it is not hard, men, to escape death but it is much harder to escape villainy, for it runs faster than death. And now I, since I am slow and old, am caught by the slower, death, while my accusers, since they are clever and sharp, are caught by the faster, by evil. And now I go away, condemned by you to pay the penalty of death, while they have been convicted by the truth of wretchedness and injustice. And I abide by my penalty, and so do they. Perhaps these things even had to be so. And I suppose there is a due measure to them. And then he says, listen, I'm about to die. And when men are about to die, they bring oracles of God. So I'm going to bring an oracle of God to you, men of the court. Buckle up for a truth bomb. Yes. And he says, um, um, he says, basically, if you kill me, you think that like, you're just going to get rid of me and you can go back to like not caring about virtue. But he says there are going to arise from this scores of others who are going to do the very same thing to you that I have been doing. And I've been holding them back up until now. So, so he's basically like, there's an army of me. There's a, there are many. Right. Um, and he says, there are dozens but of he basically us. Says, <laughs> dozens. <laughs> uh, but he basically says that there's like a whole bunch of fired up kids who know how to do this dialectic thing that are going to come after me and they're going to press you on virtue. And it's going to, you know, it's not going to be fun. For if you suppose that by killing human beings, you will prevent someone from reproaching you for not living correctly, you do not think nobly. For that kind of release is not at all possible or noble. Rather, the kind that is both noblest and easiest is not to restrain others, but to equip oneself to be the best possible. 
So he says, uh, you think that just by like squashing me, you're going to like get back to normal and be able to like get back to Athens. And he says, no, the best thing you can do is to equip yourself to be virtuous. Um, so that you don't have to be annoyed by Socrates. Right. Um, so that you don't have to be annoyed by those who are going to come and ask you to prove it. Yeah, you can either be squashing cockroaches all day long, or you can just clean up your sink. Yes, yeah. you, can, you can just be virtuous, and you're not going to have Gross. the gadflies coming and being like, you're full of it. Right. And you're in charge? No. Right? <laughs> so, uh, so he says, Pong. just be the best possible. Um, and, then, uh, and then he goes to the people, he's like, hey, Listen, you guys that didn't condemn me to death, I got like, I don't know, five hours before they're going to take me to jail. Who wants to talk about virtue? Come on down. He's like, let's tell tales. He says, let's tell tales and um, uh, please stay with me, men. For this much time, nothing prevents our telling tales to one another as long as it is possible. For I'm willing to display to you as to friends whatever this thing means which has just occurred to me just now. He's like, come on down, let's talk about this. Uh, and let's try <laughs> ain't to nothing see. Gonna stop us now, right. Ain't nothing going to stop us now. And then, um, and then he has a very famous speech where he says, let's think about death for a moment. Because some of you may be you know, thinking that what you've done is that you've harmed me by putting me to death. He says, death, from what we know, is either one of two things. He says it's either like sleeping or it's like the soul going from one place to another place. And he says, if it's like sleeping, who wouldn't, who hasn't thought about the, the deepest, most wonderful sleep that they've ever had where they had no dreams and had no cares? Who would not um, hold that up as a good compared to all of the things that one can experience in life? He says, yes, pardon me. There are good things in life, but he says there are hard things in life. And when you think of a deep, beautiful sleep, that doesn't seem bad to me men of Athens. And then he says, and if it's the other, if it is the soul going from one place to another, well, if I do get to go and be around those heroes, he says, um, for if one who arrives in Hades, released from those here who claim to be judges, will find those who are judges in truth, the very ones who are said to give judgment there, Minos and Ramadanthus and Achaeus and Triptolemus, and those of the other demigods, he's like, man, I get to go talk to Telamoni and Ajax and Palamedes and Odysseus and Sisyphus. He's like, that is inconceivable happiness because I'm going to go ask them if they can tell me what virtue is. <laughs> right. And if they can, I'm going to be happy. And if they can't, they're going to know about it. Oh, man, Odysseus is not going to have a good time with yes. Socrates. Not at so all. Socrates, I feel like someone should write that poem. Yeah, the Odysseus and Socrates poem. Like Socrates so- actually rolls up in the other world and he's like, Odysseus. <laughs> Um, tell me. I got uh, some questions for you. Yeah. Um, and he's like, and that is going to be inconceivable ha- happiness. Uh, certainly there, uh, those there surely do not kill on this account. He's like, and we also have the benefit of being immortal. That's the <laughs> Socrates. Um, and then I just wanted to read the last couple of paragraphs because their, they're very touching. This is, this is the end. But you too, judges, should be of good hope towards death. And you should think, he's talking to the ones that didn't, that didn't condemn him. Right. Uh, should be of good hope towards death. And you should think this one thing to be true, that there is nothing bad for a good man, whether living or dead, and that the gods are not without care for his troubles. Nor have my present troubles arisen of their own accord, but it is clear to me that it is now better, after all, for me to be dead and to have been released from troubles. This is also why the sign did not turn me away anywhere, and I at least am not at all angry at those who voted to condemn me at my, as, and, and at my accusers. 
And yet it was not with this thought in mind that they voted to condemn me and accuse me. Rather, they supposed they, were har- they would harm me. But this, for this they are worthy of blame. This much, however, I beg of them. When my sons grow up, punish them, men, and pain them in the very same way I pained you. If they seem to you to care for money or anything else before virtue, and if they are reputed to be something when they are nothing, reproach them, just as I did you. Tell them that they do not care for the things they should, and that they suppose they are something when they are worth nothing. And if you do these things, we will have been treated justly by you, both I myself and my sons. But now it is time to go away. I to die and you to live. Which of us goes to a better thing is unclear to everyone except to God. That's good. Dang, that's an ending. So, Isn't there another dialogue where it's him actually taking the poison? There's two more dialogues. There's Credo where Credo's like, dude, I can get you out of this. Right. And he gives a defense as to why he should obey the laws, even on just ones. Mm-hmm. And then there's Phaedrus, I think, where he takes the poison and dies. Okay. And Phaedrus is the discussion of the immortality of the soul. Right. So the part of him leaving a money for a sacrifice, that's a later dialogue. That's, that's fa- I think that's Phaedrus, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, where he says, I owe a, a cock to Asclepius. Isn't yes. that it? Maybe. Yeah. It is. Is it Asclepius yeah. it that is. he owes it the, to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, God of Healing, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's in, I think that's in Phaedrus. Okay. Where the, that's the one where he dies at the end. Yeah. yeah. This is just. He pops out of his sheet and he's like, oh, the poison's working, but I forgot I owe a chicken to this God. And <laughs> then it, like, even in his death, disproves the whole you are being impious. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's accusation. awesome. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's Socrates' apology and his defense. He holds that being a private citizen who keeps the who sort of inspires or annoys the town towards virtue is a divine calling or is, is a mission is sort of the mission. And, um, even to push this further with other platonic, um, understanding of what sort of later Plato in our minds, Socrates holds up that, uh, the, the, the sort of the end of human beings, or if you wanted to say the, the, that which makes human beings happy or that which human beings are for, or the form of human, is to be seeking after the good, is to be trying to understand the form of the higher things. This is the life worth living. We didn't even read the, the famous line, the unexamined life is not worth living. That's in the Apology. Mm-hmm. The life worth living is one in pursuit of knowing the form of the good. And that is what human beings should be, and every town should have one. <laughs> Uh, every town should have a Socrates who is there to basically provoke the powers that be into realizing that they either don't know the good if they pretend to or to sort of keep them honest. And, um, and in that sense, so he was put on trial for sort of like corrupting the youth. And in that sense, it's like he kind of was not corrupting the youth, but he was at least Grinding the momentum of the city to a halt by by keep uh, having the politicians have to go always be returning to first principles to make sure that they're doing things correctly, and Plato and Socrates seems to hold that up as a as a great and noble thing. And I mean, my sympathies are towards that. I mean, that mm-hmm. seems great and noble. But on the other hand, like you wouldn't want Socrates running your company or whatever, no. running your your city. And you don't. You probably don't want more than one of these in a in a town. Yeah. And that's the problem here is that he's. 
sharing this view with all the youth. He's yeah. creating, uh, we, we've said this already, a generation of people like that. So maybe like a sign of the corruption of a city is you be, not, only, not that you just have Socrateses, but you begin to like have to deal with them. <laughs> like you feel like you have to get rid of them mm. um, because like a healthy city can endure somebody questioning the motivations of the city. An unhealthy city, one that's corrupt and one that's full of like, you know, uh, self-aggrandizement like Athens was. Has to squash the naysayers. Has to sort of squash the naysayers. And so maybe there's, it's almost like, you know, the killing of Socrates precludes the, the downfall of, um, or the, at least precludes the, the, um, the corruption being a lot more obvious. And Socrates is like, there's more of me out here. Um, so that's an angle to think about it there. Um, hmm. I've, I've heard, like, I've heard the sort of very cringy, like, Socrates was the first to get canceled. Uh, <laughs> people say that? People have said that. Yeah, they didn't say that. They haven't said that in my, in my class. Yep. I've seen that online. It was like, you know who else got canceled? Socrates. Uh, you know who, and then, or also it's like the, you know who else got canceled? Jesus. Hmm. Um, so. Who, who was the first to get canceled? Socrates. No, no, no. Like, was there anybody earlier than Socrates oh. who got canceled? Oh, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Any political uh, rebel, yeah. right? Like, anybody depends that's what, like. Depends what you mean by. Someone that Cyrus the Great didn't like. I do want to I'm say. I wonder if there's anyone in Gilgamesh that got canceled. Yeah, the stakes are also different here because when we say canceled, that's like you can't use Twitter. You and get kicked off LinkedIn. These these people are being <laughs> killed for something. So yeah, yeah, in some sense, it's much more modern because the stakes are so I much lower. Don't see a difference. Okay, <laughs> but if I can't use Twitter, yeah, that's <laughs> you're basically dead. dead. Yeah, that's exactly right. Great point. It's a form of violence. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's wild. So. Uh, anyway, so it's, I, I don't know what, the, what sort of big questions are to, to, to think about this because there's a lot. Can the virtuous man do politics? Um, is, it, is, is the voice of Socrates, is the gadfly necessary for society? Um, um, like if you, if you sort of like overweight the amount of Socrates you have in society, you're never going to get anything done. Nope. At some point you have to sort of – if you can't get to first principles through dialectic – so, like, if Socrates' mission can't work, just asking questions, just chipping away, just because chi- he's trying to like chip away, chip away, chip away now. <laughs> um, <laughs> not to give it away. Give um, it away yeah. He's chipping yeah. away, chipping away, chipping away now. <laughs> he's trying to chip away until he gets Everybody to chip. Chip. <laughs> until he gets to something solid that he can build like a definition on, right? Yeah, but there's nothing there. But if he can't, but if his dialectic doesn't actually, if you can't, if you can only say Nick, what isn't true. You can't say what is true with dialectic. Well, then Socrates is never going to get to a fixed point that he can build an idea off of or a society off of. Um, so at some point, you need to posit some kind of a priori thing, right? right. And build your society off of that, whether it's human rights or whether it's uh, 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 natural law or whether it's some sort of objective right and wrong. But um, I think he... Socrates does a decent job, and this I think plays out in other Plato as well. That I think he gets a bad rap for doing only the question thing, because he doesn't. Right? He also offers okay. E- even the example of death, he says we know death is one of two things. Fair point. So he has something to build. It he on. does, and so he does. That. Like yes, just pulling at threads, you'll never have a sweater. Yeah. Right. But he does a pretty good job of building a sweater and then pulling the threads Walk off. Walk away, and I'll soon be naked. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Um, well, yeah. Yes. Dialectic no, you're right. <laughs> as I walk away. Um, as I walk away. 
you're you're right in that, and it's actually the the thing that Socrates does seem to hold on to as the thing that doesn't change that he builds off of is often a very pious thing. It's God or the God or the God, as he sometimes says, um, or you know these higher moral things that are noble to follow. Um, at the end, the good man has nothing to fear, and God often smiles on him. Health is valuable in and of itself. Yes, like that yes. Kind of thing. So Socrates, yeah. So Socrates does have um, like a priori things that he will build his views off of, and oftentimes it is. Well, early Christians read Socrates and they're like, "Holy crap! Right, this guy got as close as possible to something that we would recognize from revealed scripture, just from." his dialectical thinking. He posits that there is a there is a, a supreme thing called the good from which all good flows and probably even created the world out of its goodness. And it's this, probably a divine. And it's probably divine. This sounds super familiar. And that the gods can't be what we, like, the, the silliness that we ascribe mm-hmm. to the gods, all of their pettiness and their infirmities. There has to be a nobility to that God. That can't be true. Yes. Gods must be better than us. Otherwise, that's silly. Like, he came up with all that stuff. See, Socrates mm-hmm. doesn't come, he doesn't get as far as, like, some sort of concept of holiness or some sort of concept of sinlessness. He definitely doesn't get far as God became man and died for us. True. Yeah, definitely um, not. But... But they read Plato and they were like, the early church was like, dang, um, he, he may be the most virtuous pagan of, all, of them all. He may be the one that got closest to God simply through natural revealed theology. And didn't he say that the transcendentals, truth, good, and beauty, and unity must all be fully present in the Godhead? I think like, so. Didn't he get there? I don't know. That I, I don't know enough Socrates to know. I thought Plato he did. I can't remember. I could that. be wrong. You know, if you're out there and you're like, no, then you're probably right. But. I, th- I thought that he was one of the guys who said yeah. those things must mm-hmm. all come to fruition in something that is the perfection, mm-hmm. the deified perfection that we're looking for. Now, there's a lot of parallels between Socrates, who is living the life for the higher thing and in the pursuit of the good. And, you know, um, uh, again, people in the early church saw this almost also as like a type of of, Christ, of like what Jesus has done. The, right. the, the person who is living in pursuit of the higher things, the world will reject him and kill him. Um, Socrates doesn't get raised from the dead, but he is, uh, frankly, on, on, on a holy mission. And when he says, Socrates says, listen, uh, one of the big reasons why I'm doing this is because I actually hear the voice of the gods, te- or the voice of God telling me to do this. I don't know how to tell you. I don't know what to say about that. I'm sure there was got to be some, uh, early church fathers that were like, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, it, you know. Does the voice of God speak to the pagans or not? That's a that was a big theological question in the early church. Like, um, uh, how much of this should only come from the Bible and revealed scripture and the Jewish tradition, and how much came to the pagans? And how much of the Greeks can we enjoy reading and actually use, yeah. or how much of it has to be foolishness? Right. And um, you know, um, one side said, you know, what does Jerusalem have? What does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? And another side said. Uh, Socrates is the closest we've ever got. And anything uttered that is right about the world naturally yes, belongs right. to Christians, yep. right? I talked about that at the uh, plenary mm-hmm. speech this year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's lots there's lots of fascinating things to, uh, to sort of spin off from there. Um, and maybe we'll continue some of these conversations in the overtime. But, sorry, there's two more. We, we, I don't think we're going to do these dialogues, but there are further dialogues, one credo, and then the last dialogue where Socrates actually takes the poison with all of his, like, uh, his sad brethren around him. and um, There's a bunch of other ones, too, that we haven't done, aren't mm-hmm. there? We did Euthyphro, did Apology, there's Crito. That's the one where he's like, I can get you out of this, buddy. Mino, 
mm-hmm. Phaedo and Symposium. Mino is, well, there's more than that, but Mino is like, what can we know? Um, symposium is what is beauty? And... Mino is can you teach virtue? Yeah, that's it. And his answer is nah. Mm-hmm. I don't know the other ones. What is beauty? And um, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So that's uh, that's all I got for apology. I like it. Cool, cool. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. As always, you can reach us at theguysatclassicalstuff.net if you want to use the emails. And if you want to use the twits, you can find us at CLSSCAL stuff on the Twitter. You can find our website at classicalstuff.net. And if you want, you can always become a patron of ours on patreon.com slash classical stuff. We offer a few things there, one of which we've already mentioned earlier in this podcast that we have afterward conversations and sometimes continue our dialogues. Sometimes we just talk about cats or crypto or whatever else. And we also have an AMA that you can get and ask us any questions and we'll respond. And as always with the email, we'll respond to what we can, but we also have, you know, we have supporters that we have to respond to and we have students we have to teach and so we can't always get to the emails. But rest assured, we do read them. We do see the guys, you, the stuff you guys send to us and we love reading what you have to say. Even if we're wrong, and we are wrong a lot. So we, we do see it when you point out we're wrong, and we are duly humbled. Yes. Uh, anyway, that, that's it for us. You are the gadflies. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you make us virtuous. Yes. So that's it for us, and we will see you next time. Classical stuff out. Bye. Bye.